This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A grown man has a tattoo of you on his body. It's no big deal. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your very exhausted host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always is my new landlord, my brother, Mike. Yeah, we didn't settle a rent amount, but I'm thinking There's in no the thousand to two thousand dollar range. There's no rent. I'm mm. taking back the means of production. There's no rent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no rent for me. I'll just be lounging around in the basement uh, for the first time ever. We're actually recording Royals Weekly in the same location, sort of. Uh, yeah. We didn't have time to set up all the equipment necessary to record together, so Mike and I are currently sitting in different rooms of his house, recording through a Zoom call. Oddly enough, we were both able to figure out how to do it while sitting in recliners, which is weird. Yeah. I think that says more about our general health and laziness than anything else. We made sure we got the recliners, but we didn't you know, go get a mixer or anything like that. So <laughs> uh, for the time being, at least we'll still record through Zoom. This week, I'll try and get something set up like a makeshift studio uh, so that we can record in person. You can see the, the dynamic energy of our physical presence for the show. You won't be able to see it still. So you still won't know that, hey, they're sitting in the same room or not. But uh, hopefully it comes through in the audio once we get that going. Uh, before we get into the baseball this week, we want to say thank you to those who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed so far. Uh, it's super important to subscribe, rate, and review because it helps move Royals Weekly up the rankings of the different shows and the search engine things and increases people's ability to find the show. So thank you to anybody who's subscribed, rated, or reviewed us so far. Uh, we have a few excellent reviews and comments to talk about this week. We got a comment uh, on Podbean from someone called email ron zimmerman who apparently mike knows i guess yes he's a very good friend of mine he's actually uh moving into retirement after this year he ended a long hey. teaching career with me and uh he's a funny funny dude a great guy so thanks hey, ron. congratulations ron on retirement i am so jealous of you But Ron left a comment saying that he appreciates the fact that uh, when he listens to Royals Weekly, he does he not only gets Royals tidbits, but also vocabulary expansion, because apparently we talk uh, about different new vocabulary words we're all learning. Like Mike brought up the word mercurial a couple of weeks ago. So thank you, Ron Zimmerman. We appreciate the, the love and the, uh, the way we appreciate that you appreciate how we like to use big words and explain them. Uh, we also got a review from someone calling themselves Turtle ZG. Turtle ZG. Yeah, that's it. I don't know who that is. Mike, do you have a friend named Turtle ZG? I don't have a friend named Turtle, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's somebody I know. Entourage pops to mind. The guy was named Turtle, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's that Maybe it's the actor who played that guy. He was a huge Royals fan. That's right. Um, but anyway, Turtle ZG said, with my busy life, I miss a lot of games. So listening to this podcast while driving to work brightens my day. That's exactly what we're going for. Exactly. That, that was kind of the idea behind uh, creating this podcast or one of the ideas behind it. 
would be a, an avenue for people who didn't get to watch every game, but still were very interested in the game and the team. So um, glad that's uh, working out for you, Turtle ZG. Yeah, and that's what I envisioned when I when, when we decided to do this was that people would walk, listen to these things like when they're driving places or walking around or things like that. I listened to a lot of podcasts on my commute because I have, or I used to anyway, when I worked at UVA, I had a 30 minute drive to work and then I had to walk 30 minutes from my parking space to my building. So I had about an hour's worth of listening time that I needed to fill with podcasts. And so that's a, that's a, that's a great way to, to use Royals Weekly there. We got another review from uh, someone named Alyssa Mesh is how I'm going to read that name. Alyssa Mesh. Uh, Thank you so much for that wonderful review. It says, I have been looking for a good Royals podcast and I enjoyed every moment of this one. I also work for the Royals. Hey, all right. Hook us up, Alyssa Mesh. (laughs) And I enjoyed every moment. Or uh, he says, I also work for the Royals. So hearing this is such a good thing when I don't have time to watch the game. And it dawned on me when I read this review, like, oh yeah, if you, if you work for the Royals, maybe you don't get to watch the games all the time because you're working, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes people think that the people who work for baseball teams or football teams or whatever get to watch the games. Like I used to have to shoot photographs at games and people would be like, oh, that's so awesome. You're on the sideline. You get to watch the game. And I'm like, actually, when you're taking pictures of the game, you're not really watching it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's great. And I, I've had friends who worked in different capacities at Kauffman Stadium, and they would often say, I, I hardly ever get to see any of the game or I just get to see like the last three innings of the game, things like that. Uh, so I'm happy that uh, she has this to help her catch up, assuming. It's yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Alyssa Mesh and Turtle ZG and Ron Zimmerman for uh, those wonderful comments and reviews. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, keep listening to Royals Weekly and uh, we'll jump into some talk about last week. We'll start with what was a long list of roster news for last week. Um, for those of you who don't know, Mondesi, Albert, Alberto Mondesi was placed back on the injured list just today, Sunday. It's just the 10-day injured list. It's retroactive to the last game he played, but it's the hamstring injury that's been bothering him and been keeping him out of the lineup. They keep testing him to see if he's ready to come back. He's not quite yet, so they thought well, when they're going to see if he can make it uh, into the Oakland series. I think they're even flying him out to Oakland, and he's just going to wait there for them to get there. But he'll probably be out the rest of the Angels series, and then we'll see if he's eligible to come back uh, for Oakland and ready, ready with that hamstring. In addition to that, with that open space, they decided to uh, also bring up Edward Olivares again. So he played in today's game. We'll see if he gets some more playing time in right field as Solaire continues to struggle. Solaire, for his own injury that occurred, he had that groin problem, never actually went on the uh, in the injured list, but he's back to playing games regularly too, played the last couple of days, uh, still struggling to hit the ball, but he is back in the lineup. The Royals also activated Josh Stamont from the 10-day IL. He pitched in the game today through a scoreless inning in the eighth and reports were that his fastball is back up to the high nineties. He's looking like he did at the beginning of the season, though, maybe not as he did last season when he was routinely throwing balls over hundred miles an hour. He still got that really hard fastball, but it's maybe not as hard as it's been in the past, but it's not down in the 95, 96 range that gets you a little worried about him. Uh, another piece of roster news that came earlier in the week, the Royals traded prospects, Luis De La Rosa and Grant Graham Brell, um, and I always, I'm going to always spill over that name, Grant Graham Brell to Boston as part of the, they were the players to be named later that finished off the Andrew Benintendi trade. So if you don't know who De La Rosa and Graham Brell are, you can be forgiven because they are not high profile prospects for the Royals. Players to be named later are usually not very high profile. Uh, De La Rosa, though, is, is what people in the industry and the media, things like that, they call him a lottery ticket. So the lottery tickets are usually young players. 
who maybe have some potential, but they're a long way away from being major league regulars. It's a long shot that they'll ever become major league regulars, but if they hit great, you got this great thing. Yeah. Those lottery tickets usually have one kind of bankable skill that, that they're, that they're banking on or that they hope will get them to that highest level. If they can bring some of those other tools along the way. Uh, De La Rosa is an 18 year old right-handed pitcher from the Dominican. So he's still a long way away from major league play. He hasn't actually pitched in any of the um, American leagues. He pitched in the Dominican summer league last year, or maybe in 2019, uh, or maybe I don't know if they did it last year. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, um, but he did pretty well in the one sort of professional season he's had so far. So we'll see if, if that ends up panning out for them still a long shot for Boston. Uh, and then Grant Granbell is sort of the opposite of De La Rosa. He's a, low ceiling pitcher who pitched at Oregon state was a 2019 draftee of the Royals. He'll probably never make it to the major leagues though. If he does, it's going to be as a real fringy major leaguer, like a, like a low leverage reliever or best, maybe a back end starter swing man kind of guy, but odds are he's not going to have a real long or like successful major league career. Uh, that's not no slide on him or anything like that. It's really hard to make it to the majors. Um, but there's no, like he, he's not seen as a real high ceiling prospect. So overall, those are sort of two low level things to be giving up for a player like Benintendi along with Khalil Lee, who they also gave up and uh, who hasn't quite hit yet for the Mets, I think is where Lee went. Um, so we'll see on that one. The Royals also brought up Ronald Bolaños. Uh, who's made one appearance so far out of the bullpen. The thoughts are that he might spot start here and there, or he might just be a guy who can give them some innings in the bullpen. Bolaños pitched well so far this year in Omaha. He had four in four starts. He's got a 3.31 ERA, a guy who there aren't a ton of expectations for him, but if he can give them some quality innings out of the pen, that'll go a long way, especially in a season where they're always going to be looking for innings. Uh, and then they, uh, the Royals also sent down Tyler Zuber from the bullpen because he was having so many issues throwing strikes. And Mike, I know you were really high on him at one point. So what are your thoughts now that he's sort of been sent down and is struggling to throw strikes at the major league level? Well, the, the struggling to throw strikes, especially throw strikes, especially early in counts, he was constantly behind guys and, and you just can't do that at this level. The other thing that I think that I really liked about him um, early, you know, before the season started or, and last year, is his curveball. I think his curveball is probably his best pitch. Uh, he does throw decently hard. He throws in the mid-90s, but I think he's got to lean heavier on his curveball, and I hope he starts throwing that a little bit more, and not just as an out pitch, also as a way to get strikes early in counts. If he can go to Omaha and work on throwing strikes, especially I think that curveball for strikes more, uh, I think it's something he can come in and still be an effective uh, bullpen arm for the Royals maybe later in the year. Yeah, it seems like the Royals have some faith in Zuber, have faith that maybe he'll get that back once he figures out a way to continue to throw, throw strikes because the stuff is there, but you can't be coming in as a reliever walking the first two hitters you face, which seemed to be what Zuber was doing on a routine basis uh, lately. And so it's good he, to see that he gives up have a the long ball to too of, much. He just he he does. gives up home runs. And well, he's got one of those fastballs that isn't so hard that you – you know, are going to have trouble catching up to it. Isn't super deceptive. He's not super tall. So it doesn't have extra extension on it. It's just not, it's not a 60 grade fastball, right? Mm -hmm. It's maybe 55 grade might even be 50 grade. And so he needs uh, an exceptional secondary pitch and he needs to be able to throw strikes with both of them. 
like 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 Greg Holland does. You can actually compare the two of them very neatly if you want to. And with the biggest difference being that Holland can throw his slider for anywhere he wants to. And so we'll see if Zuber can find that kind of command and come up and be a, a more effective reliever later in the season. But for now, he'll be headed to Omaha to throw some relief innings uh, with the Storm Chasers. Uh, this week, the Royals record was four and two. Overall, they are now 29 and 28, one game over 500. The Royals weren't able to pull out the game today. They almost did and almost got to five wins this week. Last week, I said I wanted five wins. Instead, they're, uh, they're four and two this week. I said they should be five with five wins because they faced some pretty subpar pitching this week, and yet they still couldn't pull it out. One run loss today and a one run loss yesterday uh, kept them from a five win week. Yeah, and uh, I think any week where you win four and lose two, that's good in Major League Baseball. But agreed, when you you lose these last two by a run and both times had chances in the ninth inning to tie it, that hurts a little bit. Yesterday, they get a guy on third with two with one out and line into a double play. Uh, today, they get Merrifield on second and they can't, they can't score him there. So it's tough to lose to teams that don't even don't have really even the twins don't have a very good bullpen to begin with. Uh, but they the bullpen shut them down today, and that was uh, hard to see. So, uh, yeah, you really would have liked five and one, but um, four and two in Major League Baseball in any week, I feel pretty happy about. Yeah, and but definitely some chances this week. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that they faced the Pirates for two games, faced two really poor starters, crushed both of those games, faced two really poor starters to start this twin series, grabbed two wins there, including one where they just – went gangbusters on Matt Shoemaker in the first inning and it ended up winning a game. What was it? 14 to five. Yeah, I think it was. Um, so yeah, that one was just a blowout on a nice Friday night in Kansas city where the stadium was packed. I'm sure everybody left feeling really good about that, that win. But uh, if they could have just grabbed one win against uh, Burrios or Ober today was a uh, making his second start ever at the major in the major leagues. Uh, he pitched well against the Royals and he, you know, good, good pitching prospect, but, you know, you'd still like to be able to say, hey, we're a bunch of professional hitters. You're a guy making your second start. You'd be able, want to be able to scratch four or five runs against that guy. And he didn't um, go so, real, real deep or anything. Uh, he didn't. They pulled him early. And when they yeah. pulled him early, I was like, good. This bullpen is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on the bullpen, guys. Well, and they uh, threw Duffy again. I think we've seen him darn near every game in this series. Oh, I mean, at this point, we've faced the Twins so many times we the Royals hitters could be writing those relievers biographies like yeah. they know everything about them um uh, and so they're 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 filling in wikipedia entries on 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 duffy and all the rest of the guys in those bullpen robles we've, yeah. robles we've <laughs> seen them a bunch of times oh, yeah. um and so yeah really they should be uh destroying these pitchers who they they get a chance to see regularly uh, but a good but four and four and two is a very good week and so that gets them above 500 again and, and one game uh, over so we'll see if that if that continues into next week when they face the Angels and the A's. This week was sort of spearheaded by a few, by quite a few strong performances from uh, hitters this week, as we predicted when they were facing some pretty bad pitching. Mike, who was your, uh, your candidate for strong performances this week? Uh, it was tough for me uh, because Andrew Benintendi to have a great week again, but I went with Salvador Perez. Uh, he had six hits, six for 23 this week, four big home runs, including a two home run game. Uh, eight RBI. It seemed like there were guys on base when he came up every time early in the week. 
he did have seven strikeouts and only one walk, but that's how Sal is. He's one one walk in a week for him, actually, isn't that terrible? Whoa. Um, <laughs> but four home runs, so showing the power surge to all fields because he hit a bomb to right field earlier uh, in the twin series, I think. And uh, yeah, just Salvador Perez. If you go back and you look at what he's done so far this year and what he was able to do at the end of last year, you're talking about MVP level numbers from a catcher. Can he keep it up? Can he keep it going as he tires down throughout a year? Cause they never give him a day off. I don't know, but if he does, he needs to get some serious consideration for uh, MVP. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets MVP votes. He's not going to win it, or of course, but well, yeah, there's know. a guy in Anaheim who can throw you a perfect game and hit two bombs in a game. <laughs> yeah, uh, going to be tough to beat him out. It is going to be tough to beat out Otani, uh, especially if he stays healthy. But I think you're right; those are those are MVP like numbers. They're definitely all star numbers from a catcher. And but the question will always be with him: Can he stay healthy? And then will he stay productive if they keep using him at the rate they're using him? We're talking about a player who has not had a full day off all season, all season long. He has played in every single game as a 31 year old catcher who is six, three two sixty. This is uncharted territory really in the modern game. Right. So we'll see if, if he continues to play every single day, even if they're going to sort of say, well, those are half days when he's DH and sure. Um, but we'll see if that ends up backfiring at some point. For me this week is another guy who plays virtually every day. No, he does play every day. And that's Whit Merrifield. Uh, last week on the show, you'll remember I said we're sort of at a point where I expected a hot streak from Merrifield to pull his numbers up. If he didn't get on one of those, it was going to start to look like maybe his age was he was hitting the wrong side of the age curve and he was starting to decline offensively. And then, of course, he turns it on and has a hot streak this week, right? So he was 10 for 25 this week. He hit a home run, a massive home run in that uh, big first inning against the Twins. He had two doubles. He had a triple, which he hit in the game today. He had seven RBIs this week. It seems like anytime we talk about a guy struggling, he then immediately starts hitting. So I'm just going to go ahead and say everybody on the team is struggling and then hope to, that they maybe turn it on and destroy next week. <laughs> it, it just hasn't worked for Solera and Dozier completely i know like they'll I have know. their best week the week after we talk about them and then they fall back off again it's like yeah. damn it it's rough we know they listen so yeah. um but yeah merrifield is just looking so much better this week in fact he's doing a thing in his first at bats in a lot of games where it looks like he's intentionally going to the right side anytime they they shift him which they sometimes do which i don't understand at all but sometimes they shift him he will just pepper the right side with ground balls and, and hit like singles through that hole. And so he's just good, getting back to this thing where he like, he's trying to take the ball the other way, slap singles at times. And then if he gets a, like uh, a cookie over the middle, if he gets like a hanging breaking ball, he will try and turn on it and hit it over the left field fence because he's not, he doesn't have like center field or gap power. He can't like, he can't hit one out to dead center. Really. He maybe could, if he like really got into one, but the odds of him getting any fly ball from left center to right center out aren't good. He's got a pretty much dead pull a ball to get it out of the ballpark. And so, but sometimes he'll take advantage of that. He'll do that. Pitchers will hang him a, a slider or a curveball, and he'll turn on it and hit it out. Um, yeah. And that's, so, what Sh- that's what shoemaker did Friday night with, oh, yeah. two, with two guys on uh, and he took it out, put it in the bullpen in left field. So. I think that was like a split finger change or something. Oh yeah. Like it was that. a terrible just, looking, split just, finger but it change, was like, yeah. it started at his shoulders or armpits and ended up right at his belly button and he just destroyed it. 
which is great. It's great to see Merrifield gaining some confidence because I think that's really might be what it takes to turn him around. Just sort of gain some confidence, start slapping the ball around again, and you you'll turn that those two fifty numbers into two eighty numbers before you before you uh, know it. So yeah, he he's having a great week. Unfortunately, another sort of Royals favorite. Uh, from the past is not having a great week or did not have a great week. Isn't having a great season really. And that's Wade Davis. Wade Davis uh, had two appearances this week. I think he gave up something like three, three earned runs. Yeah. yeah. In his two appearances. It's just a, it's a snowballing thing for him. Every time he comes at this point, he's not trusted with important innings. They just sort of give him mop up duty at times, but even when they do that, he gives up runs and that's, that's not a good thing to see when you're up 10 or you're down 10, you know, you want a guy coming in and throwing strikes, not giving up runs, that sort of thing, saving the rest of your bullpen. Uh, that's sort of a, the, the position of the person doing mop-up work is meant to save the innings of the rest of the bullpen. He's coming in and giving up runs and that sort of thing. That's no good. And it's not great to see because everybody loves Wade Davis for what he's done for the team, but it's just, there's not much there in the tank. So you worry about what he might end up ultimately happening to him. They can't, keep him on the roster if he keeps pitching this poorly. Uh, so hopefully he turns it around. He can find something. Uh, if not, we'll see sort of what ends up happening with Wade Davis. But I think as we sort of reflect on this week, I'm curious to know, Mike, what was your theme as we look back at a week where the Royals went four and two against a couple of pretty bad teams? Um, it, it tempered optimism. So my, my kind of fear is fans seeing – uh, the Royals go two, three games above 500 and thinking, oh, we have a really good baseball team. They they aren't a bad baseball team. We know that at this point. We know they're not a We've bad baseball We've seen bad team. baseball teams. We yes, know we what have. bad baseball teams look like. <laughs> That's right. They're not bad. We've seen those. Bad That's baseball right. teams look like Ken Harvey tripping over the tarp. Yeah, or like, uh, you're sending, what's his name, Redmond to the All-Star game. Oh, uh, yeah. In the middle of the year. <laughs> uh, those were bad baseball teams, people. Uh, but this team is not probably ready to make a run at any sort of world series or even a division title, but we can be tricked, right? We can be tricked into believing. And it's when you have these stretches of games against bad teams and you win them that you are kind of tricked into believing that your team might be really good. We talked about it. I think two episodes ago, their August is a brutal month. So don't give up on this team. If they have a bad week, don't, get your hopes too high when they have a good one. Temper don't that optimism. Making world series plans. Yeah. Don't be like, they took two from the pirates. Yeah. Uh, save those vacation days at work. You know, like don't, don't be saying, Oh, I got to go, you know, whatever, but tempered optimism, be happy that they're winning games, be happy that they're above 500, but don't get those expectations way up there because the better teams are still going to, uh, are still going to be able to beat the Royals. It's just that simple. Yeah, and that, that dovetails perfectly with my theme for the week, which is winning when they should, losing when they also probably should, right? They're beating the teams that they should beat. They are good enough to beat the Pirates. They are good enough to beat the Twins, especially when those teams are rolling out subpar starting pitching. But as you can also see, they're not perfect. They're not, you know, unstoppable as a team, especially when we, when they play good teams, we get a chance to see that. So I think your tempered, tempered optimism is a good sort of approach. Honestly, before the season started, this is basically exactly what we thought they would be, what everyone thought they would be, right? They Everyone assumed they'd be around 75 to 81 wins, right? Roughly in that, and that's roughly where they are, honestly. 
Uh, they're one game over 500 right now, but they could just as easily be three games under, right? Like it's, it, it, that's all sort of wiggle room. And at the beginning so, of the work yeah. the week, they were three games under they yeah, were close exactly to it. earlier yeah. this week. They were so, <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's, it's very, it's very good to see them sort of taking that next step compared to last season. It's very good to see them able to beat the teams that they should beat, but, uh, let's not pretend that they're going to be competing with the Rays for the uh, AL championship this year or something like that. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly We tweet during virtually every game, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. For this week's Spotlight segment, we're going to play a little game very loosely based on the F. Mary Kill structure. Have you guys heard that? I'm sure you have. Uh, But instead of choosing which royal we'd most want to marry, Cam Gallagher, we're going to organize (laughs) our thoughts under the framework of satisfied, shocked, and saddened. So each of us will open discussion on something that has satisfied, shocked, and saddened us so far this season. And since this was Mike's idea, he gets to go first. I got Mike, I got an idea in there. He had one, and he got I, to get one. If this goes poorly, he won't ever get another. And so, <laughs> you know, don't worry about that. But Mike, what's satisfied, shocked, and saddened you so far this year? All right, I'm going to lay them all out for you, and then I'm going to break them down individually. All right, satisfied, the minor league system has satisfied me shocked Andrew Benintendi has shocked me and I've been saddened by Adalberto Mondesi and let me uh, break those down individually first satisfied by the minor league system uh, I don't know if you know this or not but I think ever at one point and this might have been like a week ago all the minor league teams for the Royals were winning whatever league they were in except Arkansas, for the Northwest Arkansas Naturals yeah. which and they might have might have the prospects who have done the best this year that's the crazy thing so it's great to see like, hey, everybody's winning except for this one team. Oh, but by the way, that team has Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and Bobby Witt Jr. on it, who two of those people are crushing the ball, and one is now starting to crush the ball. And so it's been really good to see the development from guys. Um, the Drew Parrish kid, I know he's playing for like Team USA right now, but I'm really excited about him and Quad Cities. Omaha's done really well, and you've been excited by guy like guys like Olivares and, and Omaha. Uh, Sebastian Northwest Rivera Arkansas. also having a quietly great season in Omaha, right? Yeah, now. Sebastian Rivera is doing great as well. Uh, and Coar down there, and we're going to talk about him here in a little bit too. Um, but then you also have those guys at, at Northwest Arkansas. The turnaround of Nick Prado and MJ Melendez at Northwest Arkansas has been an exciting storyline to watch. And then, of course, Bobby Baseball, baby. You know, down there at Northwest Arkansas, the guy, the number one prospect that everybody's looking at to be to develop and be a kind of guy that's going to move through the system looks like he's starting to get a better idea at the plate on how to hit quality pitching and so uh really excited about that minor league system and satisfied with what they've done um as far as shocked goes andrew benintendi trade has shocked me okay it's not that i thought it was a bad idea when it happened because i thought it was a good idea when it happened i didn't i was never much of a believer in Khalil lee i think he's a good human being I think he may even have some value on a major league roster at some point, but I didn't think he really fit with what the Royals were going to be doing. I didn't think he was ever going to be a start, an everyday starter in major league baseball. And so to get an Andrew, Andrew Benintendi and to have him perform the way he has is just shocking to me. Like 
I didn't think he would be able to turn it back to the exact game that got him to where he was a considered an almost all-star caliber player when he was early on in his career with Boston in 2018 and 2000, really 2017, 2018. And he has though, he's exactly turned it back. And you and I talked about how maybe not playing in Fenway wouldn't, would hurt him because he doesn't have the monster to bounce balls off of and things like that. And how he had tried to turn to power and it didn't work. I didn't think he would be able to turn it back necessarily, or at least with such success that he has. And uh, so that's been a phenomenal uh, a shocking development uh, is that the Royals did this move that could have gone either way and it hit for him. And that's great. Saddened Adalberto Mondesi and not because he's performed bad because he's been hurt so much. I, at the end of last year, he, he for those of you who didn't really keep up with the shortened season last year, Mondesi struggled coming out of the gate really bad. Like not shouldn't be a major league player bad at the beginning. But the last, what, three weeks of the year, he killed it. And it looked great. And you're like, okay, he seems more comfortable. Spring training comes along this year. He's doing really well in spring training. And then, blam, hurt. Comes back for about a week and is killing it. And you're like, yes, this is it. Back on the IL. So the thing that has saddened me is we haven't yet seen everything he can be this year or what the lineup can be because he hasn't really been in it much. Yeah, I think one of the other things that was super exciting about what he did last year is that he played in 59 of the 60 games from last year, right? It was 59, I think. Um, And that was really always going to be the thing where if Mondesi could stay healthy, we would get a chance to see what he could be at the major league level without all these questions about his health. And when people thought, well, maybe that's a sign that he's getting over this injury thing that he keeps getting involved in, that he keeps happening to him. And then he, you know, gets hurt in spring training and then he comes back for a little bit, gets hurt again. And it's a, it's a small thing. I think he'll be back by the A's series later this week. But it's just tough to see him continually get hurt all the time. It is very sad because you know that underneath there is an amazing baseball player ready to do amazing things. In the week he did play, what a, <laughs> he, he contributed great. so much yeah. to what the Royals were doing. I mean, it's weird to me that he went and played a few games in the minors in Northwest Arkansas and Omaha came up and immediately started hitting. He didn't like need a few weeks, nothing just hit the ground and was crushing the ball. And then bam, he's on the IL again. And he gets on the IL making a really good defensive play. I know it's, (laughs) it's rough. It's rough to see because as, as a team where that's, that's playing like 500 baseball, you're like, just imagine how much better we could be if we had a guy who is potentially our best player. Um, And so hopefully he sort of turns that around, but it is, it is sad to see, him not be able to sort of consistently play this so far this year. I hope that this is the last sort of injury for him and he's on the sort of roster for the rest of the year and, and continues the level of hitting he's doing, because it looks like he may have actually turned the corner a little bit as a hitter. If he could just stay on the field, I'll give you my satisfied, shocked and saddened group at this point, just as Mike, I'll go through all of them and I'll go back and explain them. I'm satisfied so far with the role players for the Royals. I'm shocked by Hunter Dozier. That one won't surprise anybody. I'm saddened by Wade Davis. I got a little bit into that a little bit earlier, but I'll start over with with, uh, who I'm satisfied by, the role players. Nobody talks about role, or people don't talk about role players very often because they're not everyday guys, they're not superstars. But for teams like the Royals, teams that want to win games, win close games, 
like teams that want to find every bit of added extra value they can because they can't just go out and spend on all-stars all the time. Having good role players is super important. This year, the people who tend to fill those roles, Gerard Dyson, Cam Gallagher, Hanser Alberto, even uh, Kelvin Gutierrez and Nicky Lopez. I consider Nicky Lopez a role player because one, he wouldn't be starting if Adalberto Mondesi hadn't gotten hurt. And two, a role player is his best role. Like, I don't think Nicky Lopez is a starter at the major league level. I know some people disagree with me. Those people are wrong, but I'm just going to say like, hey, whatever. He's a role player in my mind. And actually he's a role player on this team because we all know that if Mondesi was healthy, Lopez wouldn't be playing every day because when Mondesi was healthy for a week, Lopez wasn't playing every day. But that group of players has actually played really well, has done exactly what I think the Royals would have wanted from them. Dyson is actually hitting the ball pretty well. He was hitting 268, 333 coming into this, uh, into today. He had a 333 on base, which is pretty good. Um, he's also like running the base as well when he when he pinch runs, playing defense well. He made an amazing catch against the wall in that blowout win, that 14 to 5 win. It was so amazing. He goes up, jumps, smashes into the fence, and comes down. But it looks like it was choreographed. He like does it so smoothly. It looks like he choreographed it. Like, yeah, I wanted to do that because I wanted to be on a highlight later on ESPN's top 10 or something. It was crazy. And so he's played really well. Cam Gallagher continues to be solid defensively and put together good at bats when he plays. And he's played quite a bit because they like doing the thing where they catch Cam Gallagher and DH Salvador Perez. And so he's played quite a bit and done well. Hans Alberto started to turn it on a little bit later lately, uh, but he's done a good job playing all over the diamond. Uh, as people have sort of gotten hurt or been ineffective, they've had him at third, at second, at short, even some. He's been an effective player for them. And then Kelvin Gutierrez has kind of been a revelation at third base where he's played good defense and was hitting really well for a little bit early on, has sort of struggled now in the way everyone predicted he would. He keeps hitting ground balls and ground balls are not what you want to hit when you hit the ball so hard like he does. But all of them have been doing really well. Nicky Lopez has been doing well for a role player. If we measure him sort of against an everyday starter, he hasn't been doing great. But if we say Nicky Lopez is a role player, how's he been doing for a role player? For a role player, he's been doing really well. And so I've been really happy. I've been satisfied with the role players have been doing. Yeah. And I think if you end up saying, hey, Nicky Lopez is our utility guy. I was thinking about this the other day. If you go, hey, Nicky Lopez and Hanser Alberto are our two utility guys. It's kind of weird to have two utility guys that do pretty much the exact same thing, except here's the difference. Alberto crushes left-handed pitching, and Nicky Lopez does better against right-handed pitching. So you kind of have a platoon at your role-player position, or two guys you could put both of them in there and feel at least okay on a day uh, if you needed to. Yeah, Lopez is a little bit different of a hitter in that he'll take a walk every now and again, mm-hmm. whereas Alberto will never take a walk. But they're both more contact guys. They're not they're not going to hit for power, tons of power or anything like that and can play some solid defense at different spots. And it looks like Lopez has actually played better short recently than he did to start the year. To start the year, he struggled a little bit defensively, but he's played really well the last week or so defensively. So that's really good. Although offensively, he had one of the worst <laughs> that that triple play today was just I was listening to the game when it happened so I didn't get to see it but the second it happened I'm like I think to myself wait isn't he the one who's supposed to do the little things isn't the little things like his thing and yet he comes out and pops a bunt up and then starts a triple play 
but we'll we'll let that pass. Not everybody's going to be 100% on the bunts. Uh, I've been shocked by Hunter Dozier, like many people have, right? And here's why. Players go into slumps. That's just a thing that happens. But you don't expect such prolonged slumps from hitters who have really good approaches. Guys who have good approach. So if, if Adalberto Mondesi, for example, if he had started out 146, 217, 354, that's a 146 batting average, a 217 on base, and a 354 slugging, I wouldn't be so super shocked if that if Mondesi has a stretch like that because Mondesi swings at everything. He's, you know, guys who have bad approaches tend to have longer prolonged slumps. Dozier has a really good approach. He's not supposed to go into those types of slumps. He also hits the ball really hard when he makes contact, which means he isn't supposed to go in those types of slumps. And yet here he is in what is one of the worst starts to a season I've ever seen at 146, 217, 354, also playing poor defensively just really struggling. And he mixed in a couple of injury issues and things like that. It's just a really, really rough first half of the season so far for him. And I don't know that there are good solutions, right? I think the best solutions are just keep maintaining your good approach, making sure you're not swinging at pitches in the top third or out of the strike zone, uh, up out of the strike zone, because those seem to be ones that pitchers are really trying to get by him. And keeping your good approach, hitting the ball the other way, taking your walks, that's the only way to really get out of this slump. But it's hard because the worse it gets, the more you want to press, the more you want to hit the ball hard, the more you want to do great things. And then before you know it, you're really stuck in a hole. Yeah, and if you had listed out the guys who we knew were going to be regular starters at the beginning of the season and said, who's going to start out with these numbers, I think maybe you pick a guy like a Jorge Soler and and say, okay, you might see that. I don't think you pick a Hunter Dozier because of that approach. Um, we talked about his propensity for popping the ball up uh, in the infield. We need him to stop doing that. Um, but I have been, at least I wouldn't say impressed, more encouraged by his uh, ability to play right field recently. I don't think he's ever going to be an above average right fielder, but if he can be an average right fielder, he at least provides some sort of defensive versatility but his, th- I mean, at third base, he's he's a negative at this point. Right field, he probably still hurts you, but I think he's maybe getting better in right field if there's one thing to sort of hang your hat on with him. But it's not yeah, been I, good. I've, I've been a little bit more uh, – I've liked his at-bats since he came back from the injured list a little bit, more than I was beforehand. But you can tell that as pitchers have gotten more comfortable throwing fastballs up in the zone, and as they've seen his weakness at that, they just keep doing it to him. Mm-hmm. and it's hard. He needs to learn to lay off those pitches. You know, that's contributing to this, the depths of this slump, as well as a lack of confidence and things like that, pressing and so forth. He needs a reset. He, he had the day off today. Uh, hopefully he comes back and, and just starts crushing the ball again, but we'll see on that one. So it's been, it's been rough for Hunter Dozer, but what's truly been sad for me, the thing that has saddened me is watching Wade Davis go out there and not be Wade Davis from 2015, right? That's sad for me. When I get, when I sort of tune in and he's pitching in a game where they're down eight runs or something like that. And it's like, this is your role, Wade Davis. Uh, He's thrown in 17 games, he's appeared in 17 games and he's got a 7.36 ERA. That is rough. That is really rough. His fastball is gone. His command was never great and hasn't gotten any better. 
Uh, and it just looks like this may be the end of the road for him. And that's really sad to me because I wanted him to sort of have a resurgence here in Kansas city. I wanted him to come in and find it again and be the, be not, I knew he wouldn't be the Wade Davis of 2014, 2015, but you know, find his ability to be a respectable bullpen arm, but man, it has just been really, really rough. Yeah. I think what you said earlier is kind of the status thing. When you see that they're not willing to go to them unless they're up or down big, it hurts. You're like, Oh man, like you're not even pitching meaningful innings. You're just there, you know? Uh, it, it is hard to watch, especially when every picture and video you see from 2015 is him finishing the world series. Right. Uh, and he had a, a, like a year, an all time reliever year that year. I think he had a, did he have a sub one ERA or just over one? Yeah. Um, crazy, crazy good year. And so, yeah, it is sad to see that that's the role he's been relegated to. And he's not even really thriving in that role. Yeah. And I, if it is the end of the line, I want people to sort of know, like, this is not Wade Davis. Okay. Wade Davis was a machine, right? Wade Davis was it when it came to a pitcher, no one wanted to face. Right. And so for, if you're younger or you weren't paying attention to the Royals at the time, that's what he was. And, and it also gets at me because I think of this window when he was really successful as a reliever. And I know that if they would have, if somebody would have just moved him to the bullpen sooner, he would have been yeah. successful as a reliever there as well. So like he could have had even more years as a really successful reliever than he ended up having. And it just, even it, though, it, 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 it bothers me. Even the Royals tried him as a starter first when they got him in that trade. Um, Tampa had actually used him as both in, in the, the, uh, bullpen and, you know, kept trying to get him to be a starting pitcher for them. Yeah. You got to think if those like even last year or two years in Tampa, and then he just started in the bullpen for the Royals, man, you would have talked about one of the, a great stretch of relief pitching. Um, but then once he left here, he got hurt and he never really came back from those injuries. The Royals will play every day this week as they hit the road for for a West coast trip to face the angels and A's it'll be the angels for three and then a four game series in Oakland. Mike, what's the angel series look like? Uh, Well, the angels are 27 and 31. And I think what everybody in baseball kind of thinks is, boy, how do they lose so many games? (laughs) They've got some serious talent on that team. They have the best baseball player in the world and heck they might have the second best baseball player in the world. And Sometimes it's hard to tell which one is which. Uh, Mike Trout is phenomenal, although he's hurt right now. Shohei Otani is a freak of nature. Otherworldly. I don't know what the hell to describe that guy. If you're an extremely casual baseball fan and don't don't know who Shohei Otani is, uh, he is a Japanese-born player, uh, came to the United States, what, just last year or two years ago? I want to say two years ago because he had had Tommy John last year. Yeah, okay, so two years ago. Um, as a two-way player, a starting pitcher and a hitter. And this year is the first year we're really seeing everything he can do in a long stretch of time. And it's unbelievable. You have to go back to like, literally go back to like Babe Ruth. And that's so weird because in baseball, you never have to go back that far. You have to go back to George Herman Ruth to find a guy that was this effective of a two-way player. And that's insane. Uh, he is going to be up there in the lead league in home runs by the end of the year if he stays healthy. RBI, I mean, he he throws 100 
He's so good, but they only, they are only 27 and 31 and why their starting pitching other than him has been very bad uh, on the first game that, that we have with them. Jackson Kowar will go against Dylan Bundy. He's a 28 year old right-hander with a 6.49 ERA. Dylan Bundy came out of, uh, I want to say high school at the time as yeah. a like top five pick. Everybody thought he was going to be the thing out of in Baltimore uh, he had a, some good early parts of his years, but then injuries have now taken him down uh, a peg or two. But Mark, I'm going to let you speak a little bit on Jackson Kowar, as you are a Jackson Kowar aficionado. I am. I majored in Jackson Kowar in my undergrad. So Kowar is going to finally make, it was just announced after the game today, that Kowar will be brought up, uh, put placed on the 40-man roster and brought up to start this game uh, Monday against the Angels. We thought this may be the case. He looked like he was ready. Uh, been just mowing him down in Omaha. He was actually pulled after 70 pitches in his last start. And people were like, oh, they like getting ready. There's an open spot on Monday. Maybe, maybe Kowar is coming up, that sort of thing. And it turns out he is. And the question is why? Well, what makes him ready to come up? You could list his numbers. His numbers are great. His ERA is around one. His strikeout numbers are insane. He's just, he's been amazing in terms statistically at Omaha. He hasn't gone, I think, more than five innings, but usually that's just because of pitch count regulations. Like he could have gone six or seven innings in his last start, went five. They pulled him after 70 pitches, but he's just looked really amazing. But the thing that's really convinced the Royals that he's ready to come up, I would say, are two things. One, they wanted to see improvement with his curveball. It has improved. We mentioned a couple starts ago, his curveball looked like a 60 grade curveball. He was getting swings and misses with it. It was really, really impressive. I like his curveball a lot, mostly because he uses it to get strikes early in counts. He'll throw it over the plate instead of trying to spike it or something, get strikes early in counts. He commands it really well a lot of the time. The reason I think he's ready is because his fastball command, his fastball has just gotten a lot more effective, and that's mostly because of how he's using it. Okay, so one, his command has gotten a little bit better with it. He'll, he'll, he'll dot it on the outside of the plate a lot Two, he's made a conscious decision and effort to throw it up in the zone more. And it's much more effective up there than it is when he's trying to throw it low in the zone. So his fastball, which is about a 95 to 97 mile per hour fastball is fairly easy for hitters to see. And it's not as effective as you would normally think a 95 to 97 mile hour fastball would be, but when he's locating it well, and when he's throwing it up in the zone, he gets more swings and misses from it. And so I've been really impressed with that. And then the, the most important thing about his fastball is he's throwing it a little bit less. He's just not trying to be a fastball dominant guy. He's got a good three pitch mix going where he's sort of throwing his fastball 33% of the time, his changeup 33% of the time, and his curveball 33% of the time. And it's really creating a ton of confusion among hitters about what he's going to throw. I can only imagine a hitter standing up there. You have no clue what Coar is going to throw in any count. He will throw his changeup for strikes. He will throw his curveball for strikes. He will throw his fastball for strikes. So you can't sit on any of them. Sometimes what will happen is a hitter will get into a 2-0 count or something like that, and they'll be expecting fastball. And sometimes Coar makes the bad decision of throwing a fastball in a fastball count, and he'll and they'll hit it, and they'll hit it hard. But a lot of the times he'll do the exact opposite. It's 2-0. He throws him a changeup that goes from outside to the outside corner, and they don't swing or he'll throw him a changeup and they swing over the top of it because they thought a fastball was coming. So Coar looks like he's ready. 
He may have some bumps along the way. He may have some struggles. He doesn't command every pitch every night, that sort of thing. But I think he's gotten everything he can get out of AAA, and I'm really, really excited to see him start against the Angels. He will face Shohei Otani tomorrow night. And uh, if you're looking for who's going to be starting the fan club, aren't you the president of that now? I am the president of the Jackson Coar <laughs> fan club. We have shirts. Uh, yeah. We have lots of things. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We're a very selective fan club, so we only let diehards. Yeah, and, and I'm sure uh, unless you, I'm sure Coar is contacting his lawyer right now oh, for oh, a restraining yeah. order. <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't want me to get the tattoo, but I got the tattoo. Okay, so <laughs> deal with it. Okay, deal with it. A grown man has a tattoo of you on his body. It's no big deal. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll see a n- new prospe- uh, phenom prospect in Jackson Coar against former phenom prospect in Dylan Bundy on Monday night. Uh, Tuesday, it'll be uh, Chris Bubich versus Andrew Heaney, a 30-year-old lefty, former first-round pick out of Oklahoma State. He's got a 4.76 ERA, another soft-tossing lefty, which we have talked about uh, being at times uh, struggles for the Royals but he does have uh, the tendency to miss over the heart of the plate and get uh, a lot of extra bases hit against him. So we need the Royals to do that, do exactly that. Uh, and then Brad Keller versus Griffin Canning, a 25-year-old righty with a 5.82 ERA. I told you their starting pitching has not been very good. Doesn't throw extremely hard from the right side. Does have a good pitch mix with a slider, a changeup, and a curveball on top of his fastball. But like Heaney, uh, his fastball will get hit pretty hard at times. So the Royals also need to hit his fastball hard as well. Mark, uh, what do we got coming up for the A's series? Uh, it'll be a four game set against the A's. So they will be in Oakland for four games. The A's are a good team. They're 35 and 25. The ways in which they're good are interesting. So they're top 10, I think in some of the, some important pitching categories and it's important hitting categories. For example, in weighted runs created plus they're in the top 10 as a team in uh, pitching war, that's wins above replacement. They're in the top 10 as a team. So in those sorts of things, they seem to have things covered. Uh, they're getting really solid um, performances from three of their starting pitchers so far. Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, who's a former Royal, and Cole Irvin are all in the mid threes in terms of their ERA. Um, the offense is solid with Matt Olson, Mark Kana. I can't pronounce his name ever. It's Kana or Kana. I don't know. They're having solid years, though, with OPSs in the 800s. Matt Chapman, who would, you would normally think is their offensive star, has had a, a little bit of a down year so far, but always uh, a great defensive third baseman and, and a threat at the plate as well. One of the interesting things, though, about Oakland is that they are terrible defensively. Really, really bad as a team Chapman is good at third, but as a team, they are terrible defensively. Um, they are dead last in defensive runs saved at minus 24 minus 24 is a huge number to have at this point in the season. Um, and so we'll be interesting to see if the Royals can be like the Royals of old and take advantage of some defensive mistakes that their opponents might make. You might actually see them do some things, especially with Olsen playing first or if Olsen's playing first, you may see them lay down some bunts or things like that. Try and bunt for base hits, like put pressure on them to make defensive plays, knowing that they are uh, they struggle defensively. And and just to let the listeners know, Oakland does lead the division right now, the AL West. They are considered one of probably the top three or four teams in in the league. I would say so. It's going to be a test, a big test. You hope to win two two of those games probably in that four game set. So that'd be great. Yeah, I would love to get. Let's see, uh, four of these seven 
if they win four of the seven, that's a great week, I think, uh, especially considering they have some favorable pitching matchups against uh, Anaheim. Well, not Anaheim anymore. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Um, so they have some pitch, favorable pitching matchups there. You'd hope they could get two or three from that series. And then if they can just split with the A's, I'll take that as well. Yeah. Uh, four games this week would be great. And it's going to be interesting to see that they're going to have to score some runs in that Angels series because the Angels, though, they Mike Trout is out um, and their pitching is really bad. They can still put up runs. So they, they're, they're, we're going to have to score some runs. Hopefully they take their bats with them out to the West Coast. Okay, we'll end this week like we end every week with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we discuss something that has been interesting to us outside of baseball this week. Mike, what have you been focusing on outside of baseball this week? Um, home improvement. And I'm not talking about the old school Tim Allen show uh-huh. that, uh, with Al Borland, who I once saw outside of a Royals game. No, no lie. I can't remember the actor's name, but his character was Al Borland on the show. My wife and I were leaving a game and saw him leaving a game. And I, I yelled at him. I go, hey, Al. And he turned around and, and waved at us. That is a true story. Um, but anyway, that's not why I <laughs> Please tell it here. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as awesome celebrity moments, that's on my list. Celebrity. Um, You're really stretching some celebrity yeah. there, but all right. Uh, um, home improvement. No, uh, so you and I, uh, growing up, we're not raised in a home where uh, we, we did elaborate home improvement projects. You know, our mother worked a lot. We did some small things, but we really didn't do the big things ourselves, you know? Um, so as I have bought the home that I currently live in, uh, we completely remodeled it when I bought it because it was a foreclosure. I have started to take on more of those. Thank you, YouTube. All right. You can learn about just about anything home improvement wise on YouTube. But this past week, my father-in-law and I took apart an entire garage door um, a 16 foot double garage door and completely put it back together in a different order. Long story, but it worked. I never thought it would work. You know, like some of these things still, and I t- told him this, some of these things still feel like magic to me, like that I could put a ceiling fan up there and then turn it on and not set my house on fire or that I can go out and do something outside in my yard or wherever, or today you and I mounted a TV uh, downstairs and nothing broke. You know, a lot of these things still feel like magic to me. It's, and it saves you so much money, you know, like, uh, I know. So there's some things like electrical and plumbing, you probably don't want to mess with on your own. And I don't even do that all the time, but man, if you can just figure out on YouTube, how to do it yourself, that saves so much money. And I feel really good when I'm done doing it. So home improvement, that's my thing. Oh, uh? Yeah, that's it. Oh, where where are you, Al Borland? Where are you? Up to Al Borland. I know you're a regular listener, Al Borland, because I'm assuming you're a Royals fan. You were there. You were wearing a Royals jersey. What what are you up to? Hit us up, Al Borland. Yeah, we'll we'll bring on the show. Um, (laughs) My uh, my my just a bit outside for this week is entirely different. Maybe it's about self improvement. I guess in a way. The thing I've been really interested in this week, because I had to make a very long drive, I had to drive, I drove from Virginia to Missouri this weekend, uh, and I I booked it so I could get here in time to record this show for you, for you all, because I love the listeners, I I gutted it out, and I drove 10 10 and a half hours on Saturday to get here, (laughs) Um, but the thing that helps me do it when I make long road trips is this app called Libby. 
Um, it's a library app. It's like if you have a library card, you can access your library's audiobooks and also ebooks on through your cell phone using this app. There are other apps like it, like Overdrive is another one I know that people use, but I use the Libby app because I like their user interface better, but it is so awesome. So I use it for two things. I download audiobooks through it. And then when I'm on a road trip or when sometimes when I'm commuting to work or whatever, I listen to those audiobooks. And so when I'm doing long road trips, I download one history book and usually one mystery novel of some sort. Sometimes it'll be like, uh, like I, I downloaded a Jack Reacher novel for this, something I would never read, but I like to listen to. And then I'll always do one history one. And so, yeah, I, I really love the app for the audiobooks. but then sometimes it's like late at night and I finish a book and I want to go get a new one, but it's late and I can't, there are no bookstores open or I'm just not going to leave the house. And so I just download an ebook on my phone and I'll read a book on my phone for you know a couple of weeks or a week or whatever. Um, and so it's just a really great resource to have. If you have a library card, you can use it. It's totally free. Everything is free. You can place books on hold and stuff for, you know, weeks later, if you, if they don't have them available, uh, it's just a great free source of entertainment. And so, yeah, I highly recommend Libby or Overdrive or any of those um, library apps. They're awesome. Yeah. And I use, uh, I use Libby as well uh, on my, on my phone some, and then on my iPad as well, always have at least one audiobook ready to go on Libby. Uh, Cause it's, it's awesome. Like you said, free can't beat free, man. Can't beat free. I also like to like, I'll play sports video games. Like I play FIFA or something like that. But I, you, if you play enough of them, you get tired of listening to the music or the commentary. So I'll just turn the volume completely off and put on an audiobook instead. And it's just like, boom, I'm, I'm playing soccer and learning about, you know, the Hittites or whatever, you know, the, or that's not even a thing. <laughs> the Hittites the, was a thing. The Hittites. A that's a thing yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's great. Or, or right now I have a, one downloaded on the uh, Science of the Dark Ages. It's really good. Uh, it's a book called The Light Ages. And so I will like listen to that and play FIFA. It's, it's fantastic. But anyway, what you should really be listening to before you listen to any of that is Royals Weekly. So make sure you subscribed rated, reviewed, told everyone you know, have a personal conversation about this show. Uh, That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoy the Royals. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you again next week. Bye everybody. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.